Hello and welcome to the Hoop Troop Podcast. I am Matt O'Connor and I'm here with Luke Drobner. What up? And my brother Mike O'Connor. What is happening? And uh, before we dive into our main topic of, of today's conversation about the NBA resuming play and the various options they have in actually going about that, we did kind of want to start off with a, a quick little segment where we talk a little bit about the Utah Jazz. They've been in the news a lot for, for a myriad of reasons. And Luke, since I know that they're one of your teams, I'm going to let you start off with them. Yeah, so um, the Jazz have been uh, an in-and-out team this year. They've been a very strong Western Conference team, but I'm not so sure we can write them off as a contender. And they kind of punted on this season. They, they, they gave up. They did. Very, they, very easily. And they've, they've had some uh, off-the-court issues between their two stars, Gobert and Mitchell. You know, when the season started not to look so good, they they ran into some chemistry issues, like I said, between Gobert and Mitchell. And then they also sent Bojan Bogdanovich to go get season-ending surgery, which kind of trashed their season, right? They're, they're losing a valuable starter. And Joe Ingles said he doesn't want to come back and play if the games are going to be dangerous. So the Jazz are out here making weird... Uh, weird decisions. It is interesting. It is interesting because, I mean, obviously you look at the Mitchell and Gobert feud, which directly ties to the coronavirus. And then on top of that, you look at them deciding to let one of their best players in Bojan Bogdanovic have season ending wrist surgery when it still seemed like the NBA was planning to return no matter what. And they were pretty much locked into a playoff spot at that point. And it is interesting. They're just giving up. They're giving up on this season. It would look like And I don't know, you know, how legitimate Joe Ingles saying, oh, I'm not going to come back and play because it's unsafe. It really is. But it's still it goes to show that players as a whole are treating the season now that it's been interrupted very differently. And I think the Jazz are a perfect example of a team where they don't necessarily see the value in coming back. Because I think unless you're in that top tier of competitors or of competing teams who realistically have their eyes on a championship – or a team that's just trying to make a statement by entering the playoffs, there's there's not that much that you can really justify playing for here. Whereas, you know, you get into a team like the Lakers where they'd be like, oh, you know, obviously we want to get back into it, the Bucs, the Clippers, whatever. This team, though, there's a lot going wrong with them right now. And it's it's interesting how it's it's interrupting this season now. But then more importantly, you have questions. What does this mean for them going forward? They're, they're clearly having chemistry issues across the board here. I mean... I think it's very interesting that they gave up on the season despite being a top four team in the West. I like, I, I also think that if every team they, they were trending in the right direction too. They had their struggles, but they were kind of starting to figure it out, and they were moving up the the ladder a little bit. And so I mean, they're they're essentially tanking, right? Like they're saying, right. we weren't going to win a championship this year. We're done. And and I mean, it's one thing if that surgery was a hundred percent necessary, but from what I'm understanding about it, is that it could await it. It wasn't something that necessarily needed to happen. But at the same time, I get it. If there is the chance, you know, or at least at the time, if there was even a chance the season wasn't going to resume, intuitively you might think, hey, get the surgery over with. That way you have enough time to recover and get back and be ready for the next season. But it didn't really seem like that. It seemed like they were coming back to play no matter what. Well, so for me, I can't overly justify well, it. Yeah, this is a, it's a strange case. But I kind of disagree with what you're saying about teams that – if you knew you weren't going to be a championship team that maybe you just throw the season because of the circumstances, 
I think Luke and, and you even touched on it. Like the Jazz were on the right track and they were looking good. And to be a fourth, the fourth seeded team going into the playoffs potentially, even if they were going to do a couple more games or a group play, which we'll get into, they were definitely in the conversation, which kind of shocks me. But it also speaks to how volatile everything is right now. A couple of weeks ago, things weren't looking as likely and things didn't take shape the way they are now when all these decisions for the Jazz were made. So could just be that timing was they it a couple of weeks ago it looked like it looked the season yeah, was done. So maybe that led to some jazz decisions, but very interesting. And and I think that's you know a good point because I think there are so many question marks in the league right now, just with how they're gonna come back. And we're obviously gonna kind of mention that a little bit more seeing as our our main conversation is about how the NBA resumes. But I do, I think the uncertainty definitely has led to a lot of disagreement within the league. I think franchise to franchise, everyone has their own interests. And the Jazz are looking at the season and saying, it isn't in our best interest to compete. And maybe that's true, but I think that it's also going to result in longer-term issues that they are going to need to address. So while this they might be able to punt now, it's not going to go away forever. They're going to get the ball back at some point. They're going to have to figure it out. I would have been intrigued by the fact that they were lined up to play the the season surprise thunder in the first round if things went as they were seeded that would have been a kind of a treat to watch just two tough teams that are grinding and doing well so i'm a little disappointed right but anyways well because i think they're they're a fun team i mean we mentioned this on our last episode uh for those of you who listened you know that you know we think that they actually do have a unique skill set to actually compete in the playoffs at a high level so it would have been fun to see them go against teams that are a little bit bigger like the the thunder but, I mean, you know, it is what it is. And I guess whoever whoever does ultimately see the Jazz in the first round, they might they might be uh, pretty lucky. They might be seeing the second round this year. Yeah, it might uh, be in for a treat. Exactly. But so with that, definitely do want to let us dive into our, our main conversation for the day. So we'll, we'll discuss that after a quick little break. Don't go anywhere. Stick around. And we'll, we're going to dive into the NBA's plans to resume the uh, 2020 NBA season. All right, welcome back. The main conversation that we're going to be having today is about the NBA's plans to resume the 2019-2020 NBA season. For those of you who don't know, the NBA held a Board of Governors meeting yesterday uh, where they discussed discussed scenarios to resume play. There were four ideas floated out there, and I'll read them off to you now. So there's one idea where it's just the, the 16 teams who currently have playoff spots. They'd go direct to the playoffs and do a standard format. Another option is 20 teams, where it's a group stage play similar to what the World Cup does. Then another scenario is where they invite 22 teams, uh, and they have a few games to determine seeding and additionally have a play-in tournament for the, the final seeds in each conference. And then lastly, another option that they had was to try and push to get all 30 teams to have the 72-game regular season, uh, and then ultimately have a play-in tournament as well to make sure that seeding is proper. So while those are the the four options that were presented yesterday, the three of us actually decided that we want to dive into our own opinions on how the NBA should actually decide to go about coming back. Obviously, if you look at all these, teams are going to have their own opinions. People are going to be voting for what is in the best interest for their own franchise, not necessarily the league. So we're going to look at this from a league standpoint. And so Luke, I know, was was pretty uh, adamant that he was happy about that that group stage play idea, similar to the World Cup. So Luke, I'm going to let you start off with this. Yeah, I, I I really like the group stage idea. I 
I'm a big fan of the World Cup. I always watch the World Cup. I don't know if you guys watch with your parents, but I always watch with my mm-hmm. mom. So I like I like the idea of splitting these teams up. I think it would be hard to get right back into a playoff type situation just because it's such a long break. These players need to warm up and get back into some type of rhythm. I think the all 30 teams should get be I think all 30 teams should get split up into six groups of five teams. And the groups are created by counting down the standings. So I have the groups listed here. I can read off. Like the first one would be Bucks, Jazz, Mavericks, Kings, Knicks. Next one's Lakers, Heat, Grizzlies, Spurs, Pistons. So the you know the team in the first place position in the league goes into group one. Lakers are in second, and then you go down. So the Jazz are the seventh best team in the NBA by record. Mavericks are 13. So got it. That's how I think they should be splitting up. And then everybody should play 12 games. You play three games against each of the other four teams in your division just to get a, a warm-up. I was thinking like a three-game series. And obviously, the Bucks will beat the Knicks three times. You Sorry don't know that. that. You do not know that. <laughs> I, I think I, I know that. Frank Villatina is going to shut down Giannis. I would, lo- <laughs> I, I would love to watch that, but it won't happen. <laughs> It's fine. So, all they have to do is beat the Mavericks in that group. That's all I care about. <laughs> you still don't like Porzingis? No. no. Uh, yeah, so I think everybody should be playing three games. So everybody would have a record of 12 and out of 12 games. And then the top two teams out of each of those groups should move on to a playoff format. But I also agree a lot with the seeding might get a little bit mixed up. So there's some teams that very early on in the 2019-2020 campaign just kind of gave up. Like the Warriors, right? They sat Steph Curry out with a broken hand for two months, three months, when we all know it doesn't take that long to come back from a broken hand. They could have brought back Clay Thompson. They didn't do that. And so now they've had the chance to get a little bit more healthy. And they're in group six with Nuggets, Sixers, Pelicans, and Bulls. The Warriors could be the second best team. They could be the best team in that group. So... I, don't I think, think I think that's an interesting point too, because they were mathematically eliminated from the playoffs too. So right. to kind of reward a team like that and give them the chance to play more meaningful games, especially given those circumstances, I'm sure would upset most GMs and owners in the Definitely. league. But it is right. a fun it is a fun idea to go about this route. And if the NBA does want to kind of change up their idea, this seems like a pretty realistically different but practical option and, to do that. Right. So the go ahead. Well, Mike. I was going to say Luke because the group I've been I've been cautious about the group play for a couple of reasons, but the compelling argument you're making because in the other solutions I'm not overly seeing it is getting everyone in a game mentality again, and I feel like this is the the best way to do it. It seems like unless unless right. they resume the league to get everybody to 70 games played, as I, I know that that was kind of a, a theory too. But continue your thought. Right. Like so, like I was saying, like the biggest issue is you're rewarding teams who gave up very early. And so I think the playoffs have 16 teams. I think the last four seeds should be made up by the teams that had the best regular season records. So in that group six, Nuggets, Sixers, and Warriors could all potentially, and the Pelicans could all potentially get one of those top two spots. And if the Nuggets are that third team, the Nuggets have a very good regular season record. I think they should be rewarded with a playoff spot. And they played poorly in this group stage, so they should have a low seed, but they still deserve a playoff spot. So... There's four teams, right? So uh, six groups, top two teams from each group, and the last four decided by their regular season record. So, I mean, if you look at a lot of these groups that I wrote down in my notes, you can see that there really are 
more than two teams in each of these groups that could end up potentially qualifying for the group stage playoff, right? So like group five has Celtics, Pacers, Blazers, which is, you know, another tough one. So I want to, I'd love to see this 12 game series, especially because I think it, like Mike said, it kind of gets guys ready to get back into a playoff mentality, but you know, they're also still playing. You have a, you have a chance to make a mistake, but these games mean a lot. So I'd love to see like a guy like Damian Lillard go out there and just absolutely torch people for 12 straight games to get into the playoffs. Right. And that's, and that's the thing that's cool too. Cause he, this week came out and said, if, if there are games that are not meaningful and I'm basically just going to expose myself to this virus, I'm not going to play. This is actually a good alternative where the games do matter. If you, if you win games, you're going to get in. Right. So there is incentive there for the, the players to actually want to get out there, which I know is a main concern because obviously you want health and safety of the players to be obviously the, the most important aspect of returning to play and so i'm sure there's concern about bringing all 30 teams back but if you want to have incentive for all of them to come back this probably makes the most sense i i there's a lot of player safety issues that go on with this i think bringing the v back in any type of way would cause some type of player safety issue i i have some stuff down in my notes about how big teams can travel with how big like the traveling uh pack is I don't know if you guys okay. uh, have like read articles and stuff like that. Usually right. teams travel with like 50 or more people and they're right. When they go to the game in Los Angeles from Cleveland, they travel with 50 or more people and that's mm-hmm. a lot of people. Right. So I said, we should probably be limiting teams to like 35 people, right? You can bring your 15 players your two, two way players, some of the coaching staff, team doctors and trainers. Right. So you, you could probably slim, you could make like a very slim 35 person essential game roster but right. the other issue is like bringing families i know a lot, there's a lot of news about whether or not teams should be allowing or the league should be allowing people to bring their families i'm okay with families i think it would be wrong to split up families but i don't think with that being said i don't think you should be allowed to bring your dad mom girlfriend daughter your two sons grandma grandpa your three uncles your auntie and your six cousins <laughs> with you that's outrageous right, right? but I think you should be able to, you know, maybe your mom comes because you're 19 years old and she's the only person really looking out for you, or you want to bring your girlfriend or your fiance, whoever it is, right? Or if you're LeBron James and you have three kids at home, you can bring your wife and your three kids. I have no problem with that, right? right. And so I did, I doing the math, it comes out to about 3,000 people, which is still like a really big group of people. So it also comes down to ensuring the safety of these people you're bringing with them. So the league has to think about a lot of things other than just bringing the league back, but um, and, trying to get back I mean, on that. I think, I think realistically too, obviously the, the team staffs that would be coming with them, you could almost have an NBA based, you know, group of these people. So instead of having each team bring a team doctor, trainer, all that, and like, obviously you might want to have that. And I'm sure teams are pushing for it. You could mm-hmm. have NBA sanctioned trainers, doctors, professionals, like all those staff right. members who, unless they truly are, like if it's like a, you know, someone working in the analytics department with video and stuff on, on the actual coaching staff. But if you have someone where, you know, they're going to be giving massages after games, stuff like that, you could have doctors read charts across teams. So as long as you have right. you know, a, a neutral NBA staff, you can even cut down a little bit more. But I agree. Separating separating the players from their families seems unrealistic and, and honestly, to me, a little a little inhumane in some cases. 
but you know, if that's what it takes and if the players agree to it, then fine. But in actually, my eyes, I, I don't see that flying. I actually wrote down, like, I think the NBA should be bringing like a third party medical team or mm-hmm. some, something like that, where these players are getting unbiased treatment. If someone's sick, we have real doctors there. I don't want a team doctor being like, nope, you're good. Let's go back in there and play. And then all of a sudden we got seven cases of coronavirus, right? Right. So I, I'm a supporter of being like a universe, there being a universal source of health care. And also like your family, your, your wife, the player's wife isn't going to go to the team's trainer. The team's trainer needs to make sure Giannis is stretched out and so on and so forth. So, right. You know, but um, I think getting yeah. back on track with uh, bringing these games back, I know, Mike, you had you had some thoughts on bringing the games back. Yeah, I mean, to a I, playoff series. You guys got pretty granular. Things that I wasn't even thinking about. I, I understood there were there were team limitations on how many people can come, but a centralized medical staff. I'm sure that's something above all of our. We're not even in the NBA, but it's above our pay grades to even be thinking about. I'm sure that they're. <laughs> I'm sure they're thinking about it, and I do think that that the group play is super interesting. Um, call me a traditionalist. I. I'm having trouble breaking conference play. I'm having trouble with it, unfortunately. But I know that that's something that a lot of people want to have the conferences kind of go away. So I was a, I was originally, as, as coronavirus was developing and the NBA had been canceled, this was sometime in early April, thinking that just do a hard cutoff, both top eights from each conference, and let's just do the playoffs. But I'm looking at the standings right now, and... It is compelling. It is a compelling race for the eight seed, I think. I don't know what anyone else thinks. In the West. Especially in I mean. the West. Not, right, yeah. exactly. The East is, I think, too far gone. The Wizards are five and a half back. Yes. The Wizards uh, are five and a half back. But yeah. Portland and New Orleans and even Sacramento are three and a half back from the Grizzlies. And there was, if, if none of this happened, there was enough time for that to change. Everyone else seems kind of set. Dallas... Dallas, think, Houston, and OKC were think, already pretty secured. It was going to be a battle for the eight. I think Portland could have squeezed in right. there. And, I, and those I, are unfortunate, so. unanswerable well, that's the, that's questions. That Well, they might be answerable, but I am kind of leaning towards the top eight from each conference and then the play-in, potentially, if that's a solution. I don't know if anybody wants to jump on that. Yeah, I mean, and the thing is, I think I, I do actually, and I'll talk about my proposal in in a second but i do i get that i get not wanting to give up the traditional 80 state west format but i just i can't really in my own good conscience justify going so like for example some teams including the lakers who are you know pretty much have a, a lock on the western conference they've only played 63 games they have another 20 games to play before the regular season would have been over who's to say something doesn't go wrong they start losing a little bit and don't have the one seed i I personally have an issue just going right into the the sixteen the sixteen team field, but I mean I get it. I get wanting to keep the NBA as traditional as possible because people are already putting an asterisk on this season as a whole, which I think is stupid, and that's that's part of the reason I have the suggestion I have. But I do. I I, I think it's. I think it's understandable why you would want to just go right into this and maybe have just a, a playing tournament to get those, the same thing I was saying about Luke's proposal, get the teams engaged. The ones who are coming, have a shot to get in the playing tournament. 
So all the games are meaningful, and then you get into the regular format, which, you know, I, I think makes sense. I, I don't – the problem with – I think the problem with bringing the playoffs back right away is player safety from a in-shape perspective. Being in basketball, a lot of people don't understand what it means to be in game-ready shape as an NBA player. It's incredibly demanding. To get up and down that court for 48 minutes is absolutely draining. So I think bringing these guys back right after a long hiatus would take away from the greatness of playoff mm-hmm. basketball. I don't really care how they you play those first couple of games, but there needs to be some type of warm-up. These guys can't just come back and start playing playoff basketball. They need to come back and start playing, you know, start getting warmed up. And maybe that's just, you know, like some summer league scrimmages or something like that where guys are just getting out there and playing 20 minutes a game or something. But I, I don't want to bring the playoffs back right away just because I don't want to see guys get injured from a a physical standpoint. So Right. I get that. And and I think that actually that feeds into my thought as well, which, Michael, I'll let you go out, you know, with any last remaining thoughts on yours before I jump into my proposal. But I totally agree with that, Luke. I think oh, I, diving yeah, right I, in I leads to way, much of, way too much um, uncertainty. I guess these are my two thoughts on the postseason here and see what you guys think. I think that a you, yeah, you need to give these fringe teams a chance to get in, but I am concerned about the group stages in that. Like, I don't think even I'm a Knicks fan that Knicks probably don't deserve the chance. And that sounds harsh, but in the warriors, the warriors are slated to get the number one pick in the draft. They shouldn't be in a, a, even in a questionable stance to make the playoffs if they're going to get the number one draft pick. So kind of protecting the teams that worked really hard to get a championship or were working towards a championship. Not that any team didn't work hard, but these teams that kind of have earned it and earned a chance, protecting that their chance of getting there, like anything that's going to really hurt any of the top four in each conference in a group play is something that I'm having trouble accepting. And I don't know what the solution is. And then the second thing for me is, trying to preserve the sanctity of receiving the NBA championship this year. I I'm kind of a big fan of, I know some people are controversial on the Spurs winning the lockout championship in 99. It was 99. I believe Shaq even just came out saying, I remind Tim Duncan all the time that he only has four. I don't count his lockout championship, but Tim Duncan has five championships and that championship is no less valued than any other. So I, I want whatever the format to be, be universally accepted and understood that whoever wins it has won fair and square. What do you guys, I don't know what you think of those two things. I get that. I, I totally, I totally agree with that. And that's why I'm actually going to use that as a segue into to my idea. I think that we should resume regular season games. I think that what we should be doing is pushing to have uh, the 70, 72 regular season games that are, consistent with regional TV contracts for, for a couple reasons. First, to address Luke's point, it, it allows players to get back into shape. You have these games right off the bat that kind of ease into the playoffs. Everyone's going to get back into game shape by the time we actually start them. Additionally, uh, you know, I think it assists with league revenue for the future, which is a huge underlying question. We're going to discuss the cap in a, in a little bit. But additionally, I think that there are some things that still need to be flushed out because if you look at it some teams have only played 63 games the the Spurs and the Lakers have only played 63 and then on the the top end of that the Hawks and Mavericks have played 67 
Um, everyone else kind of in between. The average amount of games played is 64.7 games. So realistically to me, I can't, I can't justify going right into any playoff scenario unless some of the regular season is figured out. I also think on top of that, while we are focusing on the, the playoff teams, I think that it's also important to look at the lottery teams. I think that there so much can fluctuate at the bottom as well. I mean, if you look at it, the difference between third and, or excuse me, the second pick and the fifth pick right now is two and a half I, games, uh, or excuse me, the sixth pick, not even the fifth. So once you start looking at that at the bottom too, it makes sense just to have a few more games to let the season run its course. And even though there is still going to be a little uncertainty and maybe five games per team is not perfect, it's probably not. But then I think you do have the best interest of the league at heart. And then additionally, on top of that, um, if you want to have a playing tournament, fine. But I still think you should make the push for all teams to kind of have some control of the fate of this season. And I do think in doing that, it does give a little bit more legitimacy to the way the season does unfold. Because you allow teams to kind of flow into the playoffs a little bit more. There is a little more sense of context in everything instead of, oh, we're on pause. Suddenly we're playing the playoffs again. So I don't know. That's just how I look at it. But I think then you go in, you do regular playoffs, East and West, and, and none of the none of the fancy changes. Maybe you want to think about doing that long term. I don't know. But for now, I think that holding this is true to itself. I think I was, I was really on board with you for a little bit when you were trying to make this argument. And you were like, I think the teams at the top, you know, there's a lot of shuffling to go around at the seven, eight, nine spots in each conference. And then you were like, but what about the bottom? You know, there's some lottery teams. And that kind of made me <laughs> think that you just want the Knicks to tank and get a better pick. I mean, not not untrue, but at the same time, I mean, yeah, no, look at the, the Western Conference kinda, right now. Um, kind of busting your balls a little bit. Like here. you can't, like for example, we're we were, hey, I know, but we were just talking. For example, we were just yeah. talking about the Jazz. They're a game up on the Thunder. If they're going to start playing games, odds are, you know, and I can't say odds are because we don't know, but they might start falling. They're up. For example, they are a game ahead of both the Thunder and the Rockets. I would imagine and both of them have a legitimate the, shot at passing them. So, so much could fluctuate. Even the Clippers and the Lakers. I mean, the Lakers do have a five-and-a-half game lead on the Clippers for one. But the Eastern Conference as well. I mean, there's just so much that could shake up. The Sixers could jump up to the five seed because they're right now tied with the Pacers yeah. for the fifth uh, spot. So much could move. So, I think it just I, makes sense to just add a little more. And I know it's asking a lot from teams. And you're going to run into issues where, you know, Damian Lillard's saying there's not enough time mm-hmm. to get back into the into the playoff picture. But you're also doing this for the good of the league. So playing these quote-unquote meaningless games aren't meaningless. There is there is a greater cause here, and that's making sure that the NBA has the revenue to, to function think, properly uh, in the coming years as well. I think well. your point about the Jazz is very valid. The Jazz are just one team that made headlines about pretty much given up on this season. We're not really sure about some of the, maybe the other smaller market teams that aren't making headlines. You know, we don't really know what's going on in a lot of these locker rooms. Have like the Brooklyn Nets, or are the, the Brooklyn Nets know it's not their year too, right? KD's out, Kyrie's been in and out of games with injuries. They're about to trade half their roster because Kyrie is unhappy with the youth on the team. So, and they don't even have a real head coach right now. They fired Kenny Atkinson. They don't know who's going to be their head coach really. So, you know, they're in the seven spot right now, but right. does that mean Washington who's in nine gets the, gets Interesting. the spot? Interesting, but who, Luke who really knows. So 
Um, yeah, there's obviously there's a lot of problems with everything. I'm just encouraged by the solutions yeah. here and what they're trying to do. So we'll see if they do. I it it feels like the more you talk about solutions, the more other factors come in. So hopefully they can iron this out. I mean, July 31st is two months away. Um, so that's a lot of time to still iron some things out. And I will speak for Matthew and myself. Um, anything to get the Knicks in a better position to get Lamelo. But I think speaking <laughs> of Lamelo and the draft, I think it would be a good time to just maybe get off of the heavier topic of how they're going to do the postseason and think about what the NBA looks like next year or the year after. You can talk about cap and the draft, those types of things. Listen, I know what you're thinking. I can't get enough of the Hoop Troop podcast. How can I get more content? Well, stay connected with us on Twitter at Hoop Troop NBA. All right. So now that we have an idea of how the NBA is planning to resume, uh, let's kind of transition a little bit and look at the long-term effects of what's going on, even if they do resume. So first and foremost, I think the question that everyone and every team has is, what will the salary cap look like next season? For a little context on that, this year's salary cap was set at $109.14 million. Uh, and then there's a tax level above that uh, that allows it to go to $132.63 million. They had projections originally for this coming season where um, it was around $115 million for 2020-2021. The original projection was around $116 million but it seems like it's still dropping down a little bit. Regardless, it's not going to hit that that number that we were looking at. It sounds like the, the cap will be notably lower next season, um, which is why I, I think that the NBA is probably trying to plan to get as much revenue out of whatever's left as possible. Luke, do you have any thoughts on what the 2020-2021 NBA season yeah. is going to look like so strictly from a financial perspective? I was perspective? poking around the internet a couple of days ago preparing for this episode, reading about basketball-related income and the NBA and how that affects the cap. So it's projected that the NBA lost somewhere between 250 and $500 million in basketball-related income. And uh, the collecting bargaining agreement that the NBA has would split that money up across all the teams, allowing them to increase the salary cap, which happens every so often, happens almost every year. I mean, the biggest takeaway from this basketball-related income being lost is the fact that the owners aren't going to get right. any richer. You know, the $2.6 billion net worth of the Warriors <laughs> is only going to go up $100 million this year. Oh, boo-hoo, right? So, and like you said, the the cap is kind of up in the air. We're not really sure what's going to happen. Some some articles say that we'll still see that 7 to $8 million increase in the cap up to about 115, 116. Others are reporting that we're going to see about the eight to $9 million decrease in the cap right. to about a hundred million. Either way, with all the uncertainty, the biggest player view, player takeaway from the lowered salary cap is this free agent market, which for teams is great. There's There are no right. franchise changing players in this year's free agent class unless unless anthony davis decides he doesn't want to be a laker anymore but let's be honest here he's going to be a laker next year you don't want to overpay andre drummond you don't want to overpay demar Derozan. rosen 
the uncertainty allows teams to back away from these maximum offers to a Drummond, and Drummond's going to get a team-friendly contract. He's a great player. He's going to come in. He's going to grab 15 rebounds a game. He's going to make a difference on your team, but you're, he's not going to get the max so, money he wanted. He's going to get something a little right. less, and so, that's good so, for teams. No. And teams I, like the I, Celtics I who can't afford that max contract. Similar vein. So we're going to be seeing a lot of one-year deals. Because players aren't going to want to sign a big long-term contract with this uncertainty financially. So I think, you know, you're going to have some team-friendly contracts, which short deals do accomplish that. But they're also going to be smaller. So you're going to have a lot of these prove-it deals for some of these players where they're going to try and justify in next season getting a a long-term, bigger payout uh, in the seasons to come. So I, I think even if... It does go down this season, which to my uh, eyes, I would imagine it's going to. Ultimately, uh, the the long-term effect is actually going to be positive. Because I, I think, as you said, the free agent pool is not as strong this season. Next summer, going into the, the, the Giannis year, I'll call it, uh, it's a much deeper class. And I think they're, they're realistically, the NBA could recover financially by the time that happens. And then we could see another surge almost similar to what we saw when Kevin Durant was able to sign with the Warriors. And you also remember some of those other bad contracts, like Batum getting a max deal back in right. 2016 I mean, I was, or something exa- like that. Exactly. And, you know, I've, There's I've a lot of guys seen like rumors of an, another amnesty clause, whatever, to kind of wave some of those bad contracts off the books to help teams out. But I just don't think, realistically, the NBA is not going to allow mm-hmm. the bulk of teams to be paying the luxury tax and go over the cap like that. So I think that they're going to come up with some sort of solution that is team-friendly, but also the the players' association, led by Chris Paul, they're going to come up with something as well that protects the players I, and make sure yeah, they all get I was going to say, well. um, it seems like Parsons' money isn't going to be thrown around, which is uh, probably probably a good thing. But yeah, <laughs> these contracts will be team friendly. And Matthew, you brought up a really interesting point that I had not thought of: that the length of contracts are probably going to be, like you said, year year to year contracts. But this is kind of a struggle for the players. Like Demar Derozan would probably get he would have probably gotten a, a larger deal. Same with Drummond. They would have gotten paid more than probably they should have been, which is great for a, a player that can secure a bag, um, um, which is great for them. But yeah, it, it kind of puts players in a tough position. So it'll be important to see what the players association d- comes up with or how they're going to protect free agents and, and players in terms of getting paid. We made some comments right. about the lux- We made some comments about the luxury tax. I was looking at the luxury tax. There are seven teams right now paying the luxury tax. Blazers, Bucks, Heat, Thunder, Clippers, Magic, Timberwolves. And next year, there are five teams projected to pay more than $132 million. Warriors, Sixers, Nets, Celtics, Bucks. I mean, obviously, those team payrolls next year are going to look different because of guys coming back and whatnot. But the luxury tax, to me, didn't really seem like it was going to be a big deal. It was more about how teams and players are going to be able to negotiate these new contracts. And I also really like your point of saying they're only going to get a one-year deal. I was thinking, oh, Andre Drummond's going to sign a five-year, $111 million contract instead I mean, that's of 160 still, that he could have earned. Still right? possible. So, yeah, I think, I think, I think, that, that I think it's good. there's going to be a range. There's going to be players who try and cash in for as long term as possible now. Maybe that's an aging player. That's, you know, I'm not sure. And there's going to be players who are saying, why would I take less than I'm worth? And I could see Drummond being a guy like that. I could, uh, Maybe DeRozan doesn't get the same treatment. I don't know. But regardless, I think that there's going to be some sort of parity in the way that contracts are done this summer. 
And I think it's really going to be a testament as well to mm-hmm. what front offices are able to do and how manipulative they're able to be with these updated figures since they kind of have to do this on the fly and they have to do it quickly. Because I think another thing that a lot of front mm-hmm. offices are going to be busy trying to figure out is what they're supposed to do this offseason in the draft and, and kind of free agency as a whole. How are teams going to be able to scout? How is you know the free agency, free agency and draft period going to go? And so I think that obviously with the season getting pushed, the draft itself is going to be pushed. The lottery is going to be pushed. But how are teams going to account for these changes in that regard as well? Yeah, you could kind of do it like the NFL where you do the online draft, but that doesn't address problems, like you said, scouting and just kind of how the whole process goes. You can't go and fly out to Israel anymore to go watch Denny Avita or Germany or France or wherever you want to watch these guys play. You You can't do it right now. So it comes down to getting film and God, people have to start now. You have to really break down this film and understand what you're getting from film because you can't fly out to go see them. And then workouts are another issue. I know a lot of teams have now opened up their practice facilities. You can invite guys to come work out, but you can't invite 10 guys to come work out at one time, right? You, you kind of have to do it one, maybe two guys at a time, which kind of affects the way you see guys. Maybe, you know, some guys are having a bad day or a good day and smaller workouts might be beneficial. It's, or and it's a, yeah, kind of work interesting. The and so I think the process is the just going to be different. Storm this year of the current draft situation and how it's going to play out and lack of visibility with how people have been describing this draft class, which is outside of the top four or five, it's very diamond in the rough. Like you have very hidden gems. Apparently that's what you hear that you have, you have future role players and future grit and grinders, really mm-hmm. athletic people who aren't stars, but they're going to be great pieces on your team. How are you supposed to discover that diamond in the rough? How are the Knicks new hires who are supposed to be amazing at this? How are they supposed to accurately figure that out? You know, I think the best way to do it is all of, all of the private workouts and that type of thing. So I, I don't know. So I actually, I think similarly to looking at it from that perspective, where it's hard for the teams to kind of navigate where they want to land as far as prospects go, I think it's also interesting from a prospect perspective. And I'm going to use kind of the main example here in LaMelo Ball. Rumor is that his camp is trying to steer him to the Knicks. And I was actually reading an article where they were suggesting that if teams aren't able to work him out, he could just hold physicals and different medical information from teams and really just kind of feed it exclusively to the teams he would want to end up end up with. And that could be said for any prospect as a whole, but they might have a little more control on what they're able to accomplish now. Uh, and, you know, who could get a better look at them and who, versus who can't versus these sort of things where, you know, in past years, you probably wouldn't have had that, that selective ability as a, as a prospect. So I do, I think that this gray area in the draft is, you know, it's unfortunate for for all involved, but I think that there also could be some positives if, you know, maybe someone, as Luke said, you get, you know, one team gets some sort of scouting video out of Prospect X that another team doesn't get. And I think that you're able to kind of be a little more selective, even if you don't have those workouts, you can kind of get some of that information in different ways and also be a little more secretive about it. So it doesn't necessarily get out. Some of these other teams don't kind of catch on to the to the prospects that you're logging interest in sheesh um, i don't know if you guys have thoughts sheesh. i didn't you really bring up the the worst no i know i was just kind of thinking wow it's gonna There's... be really hard for teams but <laughs> there is a lot of backstabbing that could go on especially from 
the players to the teams, the teams to yeah, other teams. Yeah, this is tough. And to we're talking about the it's all smoke. Uh, we're talking about the unique situation the front right office, now. Which and... is, in my opinion, the the, the 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 worst part of the NBA, but but also a good one. I mean, it, it, every, all the <laughs> not happy the place. Help it run. It's obviously about the play the players, <laughs> but uh, I mean, these are everything is a factor. And if you're Adam Silver, you have to be thinking about everything. But sheesh, man. And I heavy think, stuff. Yeah, sorry, sorry, did not. Right. I'll, I'll lighten it up. <laughs> so, so I think kind of in that, in that same right. vein of looking at it from a league perspective and a front office perspective, um, one thing that a lot of teams have wanted as a whole is to shift the NBA season uh, to get it to start closer to December, or January, and then run into the summer a bit more. So it's not competing with sports like hockey and football as much. And I think in doing what they're doing now in pushing the season, mm-hmm. the draft, everything, at a minimum, next season is getting shifted. And that could be a long-term solution and ultimately just stand that way. What do you guys think about what the new timetable of the NBA season would look like? Yeah, I got to tell you, I am super pumped about this. I think it will be awesome. I know that there's been rumors that it's been, I don't even know if they're rumors, it might be facts, that the NBA ideally wants to have their opening set of games on Christmas Day. That would be the biggest Christmas present of all. Could you imagine having opening day on Christmas? You have like that whole slate of of games. I would be that would be great. I, I think, and have the playoffs what run into September. So in the dog days of summer, yeah, I love the Yankees. I love watching baseball, but there's a dearth of sports content. You can watch people talk about free agency. Free agency is fun, but to have more regular season in the dog days of summer and have playoffs go into September. I, I, I'm, I'm a fan. So I, either way, I think this accomplishes the NBA's desire to shift when the season starts. I, I think it, it'll be hard to actually get to start on time because we are four or five months away from the 2021 season officially starting, right? Usually the season starts in October. It's May right now, late May season will start in the middle of October. So how are you supposed to squeeze everything between resuming the end of this season to free agency draft, you know, summer league, how are you supposed to get all of that going when you only have five months when usually like we, the season would be ending in the next week or two normally. So in my opinion, you kind of have to push it back, whether or not it's a permanent start date where we continue to start the season in December or January it might just have to happen that way because of we're not going to have time. Right. It'll be hard to shift the season back if we have to push it back. So in my, in my opinion, we, we either rush it and we start the season in October and everything goes back to normal or we push it back. And it just so happens to be that. Definitely. We start and, the, and I think the that, games in December, you know, while we obviously so. have alluded to a lot of the negatives that came from uh, COVID-19 interrupting the season, uh, there could be some positives. If the season does shift, there could be more revenue, which could help them rebound. And, you know, you never know what, what positives come out of this otherwise. With that, uh, I want to transition a little bit and thank everyone for, for listening to our second episode of the Hoop Troop podcast. I hope you enjoyed what you heard. Everyone continue to make sure you're staying safe during quarantine as everything starts to open up. And, you know, join us next time when, when we talk about uh, the NBA's resumption, uh, and additionally, some some other issues of the aftermath of the uh, NBA and the coronavirus. So thanks again for listening, and, and we look forward to uh, having you guys join us again next time.